Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to another service. We have a great crowd here today, and if you're watching online, welcome as well. We are in this series called uh, The Book of Acts, and we are moving our way through it. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16, or if you use a smartphone or other devices, iPad, whatever you use, we're in Acts chapter 16 today. Bertrand Russell wrote an essay, oh, about 70 years ago, 1959 actually, It was an essay entitled, Why I Am Not a Christian. And basically, basically it was a summary of why he did not believe in the Christian faith. And the reason I connect with this particular text today is I see reasons in Acts chapter 16 why people became a Christian. And as we've been studying through the book of Acts, I don't know if you've noticed this, but one of the most undeniable aspect of all the events that transpired in the book of Acts, the stories in the book, over and over and over again, we see the description of thousands of thousands of people who came from different places, came from different cultures, had and spoke many different languages, people from different backgrounds, they all made decisions to follow Jesus and to be classified as Christians. These people, thousands of them, find him, they discover Christ, and they make a decision, a distinct decision to follow him. And we see this transpire over and over and over again in the book of Acts. Now, some of you may think, well, We make this assumption sometimes, and maybe you've thought about this, that somehow we think that back then, in the first century, back in the book of Acts, that somehow the world was less complicated back then. The reality of it is, though, that it was just as complicated, it was just as difficult to live in those days, and the message of Jesus was just as outlandish for people to embrace as it is today. And yet, when you read through this entire book, what you discover is that Christianity, the message of Jesus, exploded and expanded throughout the Roman Empire. People believed. People believed with their lives, and they were willing to sacrifice their lives for the kingdom of God. So when the BBC did this interview with Bertrand Russell in the late 1950s, 1959, he said these words in that interview. When you are studying any matter or considering any philosophy, ask yourself, what are the facts and what is the truth that the facts bear out? Never let yourself be diverted by what you wish to believe but look only and surely at what the facts are. And so today, we're going to look at some facts that are found in Acts chapter 16. And if you are a Christian, these facts hopefully will serve to fortify your faith in Jesus Christ. If you already believe the facts in this chapter, 
you should experience an increased encouragement, a bolstering of your faith. It may remind you of things that you may have forgotten, and it may encourage you in your faith. But there may be people, some here today, maybe you're watching uh, via our program today, and you may have some questions or doubts about Christianity, or you may be exploring the claims of Christianity. This chapter, Acts chapter 16, may provide you with some answers to those questions that you've been asking. And perhaps even in your life, resolve some of the tensions that you may be experiencing or feeling in your life. I believe, I believe that Acts chapter 16 are included with some very distinct facts that can encourage you and inspire you in a variety of ways. So with your Bibles open to Acts chapter 16, let's, let's look at this. But let me give you some background to this chapter because this chapter happens in the year of A.D. 49. And the Apostle Paul and Silas are on their second missionary journey as the gospel is expanding throughout the region. And what is really interesting to note in this chapter is that the Apostle Paul had thought about and had sought to revisit all the places that he had been to in his first missionary journey. As you recall, during his first missionary journey, there was great success at various places and churches were planted throughout, and he was wanting to go back to those same places again in the second missionary journey. But then something happens that is very interesting as the story begins. Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through verse 8. Next, the Bible says, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Pergia and Galatia. Because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then, coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north to the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. Now, summarizing these verses, you get this sense that there was a plan in place. But the Holy Spirit intervened, and Paul and Silas sensed that their direction was changing. They had plans to go to Asia Minor, but instead were directed elsewhere. And when they got to the border of Mysia, they were once again redirected to Troas. And while they're trying to figure all this out, which direction to go, they're moving around, the Bible says, look at these words in Acts chapter 16, verse 9. The Bible says, that night Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia, northern Greece, was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So the apostle Paul has this dream. This man in Macedonia is pleading with him from the European continent. Now, remember, he's in Asia Minor. So this man from the European continent is pleading, come help us. And Paul immediately understands that this call for help, this, the help that is needed, this, this cry for help, is a desire for the people of the continent of Europe to understand the gospel. Paul understands that. 
For it says in the next verse, in chapter 16, verse 10, notice these words, so we decided. Immediately there was a change of plan. Immediately the direction changed. This vision happens, and immediately there was a decision made to leave Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there in Macedonia. It goes on to say in verse 11 and verse 12, we, bro- we boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace, and the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there, we reached Philippi, a major city of, the district, of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. So they end up at the city, in the city of Philippi, which was, by the way, the biggest and the most influential city in the region. And it is here, in the city of Philippi, where we get the book of Philippians from, in this city, in the city of Philippi, that we are introduced to three distinct people. Three people in the city of Philippi who radically believed the message of Jesus and they reveal to us, now get this, these three people reveal to us why you and I should also believe in Jesus. The first person is found in Acts chapter 16, verse 13 and verse 14. And the Bible says in verse 13, On the Sabbath, we went to a little way outside the city to a riverbank, where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. Verse 14. One of them was Lydia from Theatra, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God, and she listened to us. And the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. So the first person that we meet in this city, in the city of Philippi, is a woman named Lydia, who was a worship of God, the Bible says, and she was a seller of purple cloth. Now historians and theologians who have studied and looked at this person's life, Lydia's life, and they've looked at her story, they've determined several things about her. That Lydia was an educated person, that she was probably a woman of significant affluence, and she had significant influence and strength in that city. Probably, they have concluded that she owned her own business and was successfully looked upon by the people of that city. And so when you see what happens to her in these verses, that she had this desire to pursue God, and you see that she had this influence that allows other people to come to faith in Jesus, what you really see here is she's trying to find answers to her faith questions. She's trying to make sense of her life. And then as she is by the riverbank doing her chores for the day, she comes across and she meets Paul and Silas. And you see some very interesting words here in verse 14. In the latter part of verse 14, the Bible says, As she listened, the Lord opened her heart. 
And then it says in verse 15, look at these words in verse 15. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. Now, pay attention what happens here. Pay attention to what it says here in the Bible. Very specifically, the Bible says she accepted what Paul was saying. In other words, she paid attention to what was being said. As Paul presented the message of the true gospel, very specifically, not only she accepted, but she paid attention to what was said. So apparently, there are specific words that were spoken. And in this discussion and in this discourse that was taking place between Paul and Silas and Lydia, in this process of discussing, it was the words that were spoken from the Apostle Paul that led her and her entire household into believing. Now, I want you to hear the testimony of a person from our church Yolanda is going to come at this time, and she's going to share her testimony. Good morning, everyone. My name is Yolanda, and I have been part of the Word and Paul Gospel Assembly since 2017. I was born in the Philippines, the eldest daughter in a family with 12 children. We struggled with poverty. The money that my parents were earning was never enough to our basic needs. I grew up as a teenager full of anger and jealousy because of what I can see with my classmates and friends because they have enough for everyday living, but for us, nothing. I was constantly bullied in school and influenced by friends to drink alcohol and became rebellious, and I was even run away from home but returned later. Amid our struggles, my mother abandoned us in 1994. We did not know why, and she just disappeared. I was still a teenager at that time, and I was very angry with her because I was left to take care of the children. I got a job after high school to earn money to help to provide for the needs of my siblings. The following year, 1995, we were evicted from our home in the city, and we moved to the rural village where we were surrounded by rice fields, and there was no running water. We still struggle with very little money. Then God opened doors. In that hopeless situation, God opened doors of opportunity for me. I got a new job in company owned by a Christian couple. And they gave me a Bible with a verse, Delight yourself also into the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Psalms 37.4 On September 28, 1998, I surrendered my life to Christ and I got saved. I was raised in a Roman Catholic church, but I did not know that I, need, I needed to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I started attending church and joined Bible study groups, and my family came to church with me. God strengthened my faith during those times. After I became a follower of our Lord Jesus Christ, something had changed in me because now I have a new heart, and God gave me hope and took away the anger and healed my heart. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, and the old has gone, and the new is here. 
I've been a full-time worker as a church administrator and involved in a mission work in the Philippines. And God gave me the opportunity to study in Bachelor of Theology in Bible College back home. And God gave us the grace to forgive. My mother came back December 1999 after five years. And we rejected her at first. And there was a lot of anger and hatred. But since we were all Christians at that time, God gave us the grace to forgive her. And we accepted her into our lives. I understand that we are all sinners, no matter who we are. And because of that, we should forgive others who have sinned. For if you forgive men, then they sin against you. Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Matthew 6, 14 to 15. Still, there was chaos in the family because of my mother did not believe in Jesus even after she was shown forgiveness. And she forbid us from going to Christian church, but we went anyway. And God's spiritual breakthrough happens in 2011. A breakthrough happened. My mother, who was still until an unbeliever at that time, was diagnosed with abdominal aneurysm. She was hospitalized for a week. While she was in the hospital, the Holy Spirit gave me courage to witness to her. She finally surrendered her life to Christ, and she was 60 years old. It took for her 11 years to finally experience God's forgiveness. I hold on to his promises in Acts 16.31. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, you and your household. After she recovered from sickness, she became an active church member and was one fire to spread God's gospel to her relatives under she died, until she died in May 2020 at the age of 69. My family's transformation is a testimony that God answered prayer in his perfect time. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he makes all things beautiful in his perfect time. And God restored even the most broken relationship through forgiveness. And God still heals completely and still brings people back to life. And God always provides for our own needs. Both my parents are now in heaven. My mother passed away last May 2020, and my father last September 2nd this year. They left behind a family united through the love of God. And that we were blessed to have a family picture in 2019 before the COVID pandemic. And that's our family. And we were blessed. And I'm sharing with some of these photos. And my siblings and their children continue to grow their faith through our weekly virtual Bible studies. So we're having a virtual Bible studies every Saturday with my nieces and nephews as well. Taking the word of God in 1 Timothy 1, 15, 16. He is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. This is the truth now that I rest my life on. I'm Yolanda Vosnek, a sinner saved by grace and constantly being transformed as I follow my Lord and Savior, him who gave his life so I may live and all praise be unto my Lord Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. Thank you, Yolanda. As Acts chapter 16 continues, we see another person come to faith in Jesus. 
Acts chapter 16, verse 16 and verse 17. Notice what the Bible says. One day, as we, Paul and Silas, were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had the spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She learned a lot of money. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. Verse 17. And she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. A slave girl. She is on the opposite end of the economic spectrum from Lydia. She is poor, a slave, controlled by people who are profiting from her. The word in our culture, which depicts this situation is this girl was an exploited person. But what I want you to notice, I want you to notice something. This girl has the right words. She is proclaiming something. She is proclaiming words of truth. Her exp- and her exploiters are doing nothing to stop her. And while she is proclaiming the truth, These words that she is speaking forth, she herself is unchanged by the message. But then notice what happens in verse 18. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her And instantly, it left her. So here you see the delivering power of the Word of God. She is liberated not only from demon possession, but from the exploitation that she was under. What this girl experienced was a dynamic, powerful encounter with the Spirit of the living God. And that power changed her life. That power changes her. She not only experiences complete deliverance from the demon that was in her, she experienced deliverance from her own sinfulness. And what we need to understand is that the gospel has the power to transform lives. The gospel radically transforms lives. The gospel changes lives. People, we need to understand that. There is power in the gospel message of Jesus. It changes their story. It changes their trajectory. It changes their, their whole projection in life. The gospel radically moves the horizon for people. Now, I want you to watch this video of this transformation of how an encounter with God brings this man to faith. My name is Michael Chotorena, and this is a testimony on faith. From the time I, I was from middle school, I started doing drugs, hanging with the wrong crowds. I thought by getting into gangs, I would um, become someone bigger than who I was. I started selling drugs, got busted when I was in junior high. I was in the gang life, so we constantly would rob people. It got really bad to the point where I became an alcoholic, drug addict. I ended up making several trips to the hospital because I had heart issues. My body couldn't handle it. I also did prison time. 
people basically stopped hanging around with me because they didn't trust me. They got so bad with my drug use, I was stealing from my own family and from loved ones. And I became someone that I actually thought I would like, but in fact, I actually hated myself. I wanted to get out of that life. I wanted to change my life. I didn't want to be that same person anymore. I remember when I was younger that I used to go to church. I remembered faith. My mother had faith that um, I was going to come through and, and drop drugs, drop drinking, drop the, the gang life. And I applied this faith into my own life. I, I believed that God could help me. I believed that he was the one that was going to turn my life around. And even though I carry um, tattoos of my past life, I knew that he would change me totally from the inside. You know, things started changing. Once I dropped the old friends, once I dropped the old life, once I stopped drinking, once I stopped doing drugs, through faith I was able to stop doing drugs on my own. I could hold a job longer. Uh, people actually started trusting me again. I met my wife. My son started respecting me more. And that's what faith means to me. That's what the love of God means to me. Right now all I can say is through faith, going up. And what you witness in the testimony of this story is that the gospel radically transforms the lives of people. It dramatically changes the lives of people. A powerful encounter with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ brings people to faith. Now we encounter a third individual, and the story takes a unique and interesting turn because when this girl is liberated, she no longer is performing for her handlers. She's no longer uh, performing for the people who invested their money into her, and it causes other people to become upset. And they, these individuals, these handlers, start an uprising, and Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. And this is where we are introduced to the third individual who has a dramatic encounter with Jesus. And it's the jailer, a regular guy who is doing his job with instructions to accommodate prisoners so that they don't escape prison. And part of the entire injustice process of Paul and Silas being put into jail, this jailer had the responsibility of watching over the prisoners. And you recall the story because around midnight, the Bible says, there was an earthquake. While Paul and Silas were praying and worshiping God, an earthquake happened and all the prisoners who were in this prison, who were shackled and locked into their cells, immediately became free. The chains were loose. Now for the jailer, this is what you have to understand behind the scenes, for the jailer, for this to happen had tremendous consequences and they were extremely severe. It probably meant that now that these prisoners are free, that he would lose his life. So he makes a decision to do the honorable thing. He decides that he was going to commit suicide by falling on his own sword. If the prisoners escaped, he was a dead man anyway. Might as well do it my myself because I won't be judged as severely for not doing my job. But that what, what happens next actually changes his life. Paul and Silas don't see this earthquake as an opportunity to say, 
be grateful or say thanks to God, that God was somehow answering their prayers for their faithful ministry. Paul and Silas don't see God releasing them because so easily when we're in confined situations and in circumstances we like and all of a sudden those change, a lot of times we give thanks to God. But Paul and Silas don't see God releasing them what they see in this event. What they specifically see is an opportunity for a person to encounter Jesus. They see God having the opportunity to save this jailer. Look what it says in Acts chapter 16, verse 28. In verse 28, Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. That one statement, this one statement makes all the difference in the jailer's life. Any and all conceptions that he may have had about people, especially prisoners, changes. Now you may be asking, what do you mean? Why would, he, why would you do this? Because he participated in an injustice. Falsely accused, Paul and Silas were placed into prison with the charge given to this jailer. And now that the opportunity was given to run away, the opportunity of freedom was given to run away through an earthquake. And Paul and Silas are saying, we didn't run. Instead, everybody stayed. You don't need to kill yourself. And the jailer responds with the most now famous question. Notice how he responds in verse 30. The jailer called for lights and ran in the dungeon, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked, here's the question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? I want you to notice something. There was no sermon. There was no worship music happening. There was no demonstration of God's power where somebody is healed. But what he witnessed was just as powerful. What he witnessed was the gospel being lived out in such a way that made him ask this question. What must I do to be saved? He saw something in Paul and Silas that attracted him to the gospel. The integrity of living life completely and totally honest. I don't have what they have, but what I am seeing is that's different than what I'm experiencing in life. Something that I don't have, I need to have for my own life. Now, I want, to watch, I want you to watch the third testimony of someone in our church, David Sherbinsky. Watch this. Good morning, Warden family. My name is David Sherbinsky, and I have the privilege now of sharing with you... Um, my salvation experience, and a little bit of my testimony of how I've grown in my relationship with Jesus. 
So I've been very um, blessed to have been born into a loving Christian family and to be raised by this church community as well. I'm now 20 years old and my first experience with salvation had to be at Bethel Park camp when I was six years old. I remember it just like yesterday and it was a very Holy Spirit um, filled evening where um, you know everyone could feel his presence and it was such a surreal moment I'll never forget it and that's when I first recall um, accepting the gift and uh, wanting to live my life for Jesus so that was my first experience but I wanted to just touch on what more recently has happened in my life and I call this more of a re redefining moment in my personal relationship with Jesus. So I want to read um, Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We all know that verse very well, but the reason why I wanted to read this one is because for most of my life, since 6 to 20 years old, I I gone to this routine of maybe we understand this routine where we just we feel like we're going to be saved through our works. We do the typical serving on a Sunday or you help a youth or young adults or any aspect in the church. And that just gets you from day to day. But what does it really mean to have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? And um, I had this experience recently. The Holy Spirit came to me in a very tangible, real way, and I, um, I'm reminded of Psalm 62, verse 1 to 2, where it says, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, and I will never be shaken. So that's just my heart cry for sharing this salvation experience that when the Holy Spirit shows up in very real ways, um, and totally just shakes everything that you used to know, it comes down to He is our salvation. We can't do anything or achieve anything through our own works, but it is, it is that relationship that we build with Him and continue to um, pour into every single day that truly matters. And yeah, so I just wanted to share that. Um, thanks for listening and have a good day. So what we are reminded of in Acts chapter 16 is that the gospel of Jesus is a significant reminder of the impact that the gospel can make in the lives of people. And the reason why you and I would classify ourselves as Christians is because something happened in our lives Something transformed us, something transpired that was anointed and inspired of God's Spirit in us where we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's the message of the gospel that provides the truth that helps us to make sense of the world. It is the gospel that has the power to make a difference in the lives of people. And it's the gospel power in our lives that makes our lives unique to the world. So the challenge I want to leave you today is this. Do you and I 
In our daily living, do you and I allow the truth of the gospel to influence our lives in such a way that allows us to impact our communities? Does the truth of the gospel define our world? Does the truth of the gospel transform our lives? Are we changed? Is God working in your life? Are you trusting God with your life? Is the gospel so relevant in our lives that it causes people to stop and to take notice and say, I like what I see in you. I, I want to know more about what is making you the way you are. What is it in your life that makes you like that? And so as I close this morning, I want, you, I want to remind you of some very distinct words of Jesus that Jesus said to his disciples. One day Jesus was having these conversations with his disciples and he said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He said these words, You are the light of the world. You, you who are living in a dark world, a world that is full of pain, full of frustration, full of heartache. You who are living in a broken world, you are the light of the world. And I truly believe, friends, that this is for all of us. And I want you to hear this loud and clear. Whether you are in this sanctuary today or whether you are watching via your home broadcast, you are the light of the world in the sense that you have distinct words of life to speak. You are the light of the world because you have the truth that will provide answers to the questions that people may have when they come seeking after you to provide answers for them. You are a light in the sense that you have been given power by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in the lives of people. You are a light in the sense that you can live a different kind of life, a unique life, and carry yourself in a unique way as you move through the day, as you live in contrast to the way culture lives today. The testimonies, the testimonies that you witness today reminds us, or should remind us, of the stories that we just read about in Acts chapter 16 are not stuck back in history. But the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ is continuing today. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is still moving forward today. Right now, right here, in this city, the message of Jesus Christ is still impacting the world. And if you can embrace that, if you can believe what God is doing in our society today and in our city today, knowing what you know about the power of the gospel, can I ask you to pray? Can I ask you to allow the gospel message of Jesus to become alive in your life? 
Can, can I ask you today to make sure that the gospel will make a difference in your life? May you know today that the gospel will take you beyond anywhere where you have ever been and move you beyond going through the motions because you understand that you are the light of the world. And where those disciples went in Acts chapter 16, they presented the message of Jesus. And wherever you go, Wherever you find yourself, understand that you are the light of the world and you have the opportunity to change the lives of people through the power of the gospel. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may we understand the uniqueness and the power that is contained in the word of God. May we understand and may we believe wholeheartedly that you can still powerfully change the direction of lives of people. May we at this juncture in our history, in our lives, in this moment, may we embrace again the understanding that there is power in the gospel message of Jesus. That there is power to transform lives, that there is power to change lives, that there is power to bring healing, salvation into the lives of people. And may we, O oh God, understand as the light of the world that we are the conduits because we have the power of the Spirit of God upon us. And may we walk in our world, may we walk in our society, may we walk the streets of our city and know, God, wherever you bring us to, that we have an opportunity to show Jesus to a world that desperately needs Jesus. I pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, amen and amen and amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being a part of our worship experience. God bless you immensely. Have a great week, and we'll see you again next week. Amen. Well, church, let me just make a quick announcement this morning. As you have probably heard over the last few days, there are some changes coming uh, through the coronavirus um, opening, gradually opening some more. And so I just want to let you know that this week we'll be sending out an email outlining some new changes that are coming to allow more people to come in here. Um, but I want you to know that you will not need to register as of November 7th. You won't need to register any further online. We just want people to show up and come and participate in our worship services. Unfortunately, they're not taking away the mask mandate. So um, we still have to wear masks and we still have to you know, engage in social distancing, but at least we will have opportunity to stay behind and fellowship a little bit. We don't have to rush outside uh, anymore, and we certainly don't have to come in and sign in and do all the pre-registration stuff. So there are gradual changes coming, and there will be more changes coming as time goes on. But you'll see all that in an email to you this next week, all right? God bless you. Thank you for being here. Have a great week. Amen.